0: gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to herod they departed to their own country by another way this is the gospel of the lord let us pray almighty god as we peer into your word might you also peer into our souls father may we remove right now any hardness of heart or any insensitivity or any apathy And Lord, truly allow you to speak to us this day. Lord, you recognize our imperfection, but also, Lord, we recognize your grace. And so out of the treasures of your own coffers, might you extend to us your wisdom, your strength, your knowledge, that we might know who we are in your eyes, and that we might then walk with dignity and joy before you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Whether it be in film or in literature, we love a good journey story, a journey story. I love journey stories, stories that start with a main character who is in one particular state, and over the course of the tale, through a series of known, fortunate, and unfortunate events, he or she grows and becomes something far more amazing or wonderful than they could have understood or even comprehended ...at the opening pages of the book or the opening scenes of the film. And journey stories are appealing not only to us individually... ...but to us collectively as human beings. And I think there's a reason for that. Because we recognize in journey stories... ...that we are all living journey stories. We had our moments of immaturity. We've had the lessons. We've had all the surprising things that have come into our life... And they've been used by God who's been directing our story to form us into the people that we are today. One of the things I love about our congregation and about Austin in general is that many of us who live here aren't from Austin. And so we've experienced all kinds of things. Our congregation draws from individuals who have lived and been born in all parts of the world and all parts of the country... And even for those of us who are here, you've also been dealing with the realities of all the people that have been coming to this city, both the beauty, joy, and also the hardships that come with the increasing population that we've experienced in Austin over the last 10 to 15 years. But in all these things, God has been teaching us. I think one of the compelling things about our own passage is that the story of the Magi is also a journey story. It's a story of the Magi going from the Far East, probably in Babylon, to come and encounter the person of Christ. They've witnessed and they've seen signs in the heavens and they've understood from the scriptures that a king was to be born. And so they went out and embarked on the journey that was before them for the sole purpose to see the one born king of the Jews, to see Christ himself. It's not only about their journey, though, it's also about Herod's journey, and the scribes' journey, and the citizens of Israel, of Jerusalem's journey, there's a part of it also that's a part of God's own journey. And the beauty of all of this is that the story of this journey isn't just one of the Magi's journey, but also it's the journey of God to us, who comes to us not clothed in the opulence of Herod, not wrapped in the aspiration and the corruption and the complications of his own reign and rule but it's wrapped in simple humility, in a tiny house, in the face of a little child. Friends, the scripture has something to teach to us this day, something to teach to us about the theme of journey. And as we enter into a new year, I find this theme incredibly appropriate as we consider the dynamics of our own journey this year. I'd like to look at three particular points. Three is a good number makes things feel like you've said something important and significant. Two is too few, one is too few, three seems just enough. But as we get to our points, I'd like us to consider something about the nature of God's own journey to us this morning. None of these are going to be particularly profound, but I hope that as you see them in our text, you will find them to be true, not only of our tale, but also of God's story in you. Well, the first storyline that we see occur in our passage, the first point that I'd like to bring out is that the citizens of Jerusalem have the opportunity in their journey, in their story, to be surprisingly enriched by the character and commitment of others. This is right where the Magi come into the story. And Matthew, being written from a Jewish perspective, he writes, not detailing the events of the Magi's journey, but all of a sudden their appearance in their midst. The passage states, Behold! There were Magi from the east here and among the citizens of Jerusalem. And this startles them because the Magi don't belong in Jerusalem. They're not Jewish. They don't have that ancestry or that heritage. The Magi were a unique class of individuals that have no counterpoint to our own circumstances and vocations today. They were a combination of scientists, astrologers, astronomers. They were spiritual men. They dealt with the interpretation of dreams. They looked at the stars and tried to provide from the stars and from dreams information to uh, leaders, to political leaders, to kings and governors about what was actually going on in the world around them. You see, they believed that everything was communicating to them, and so they were specifically anointed and were gifted with the ability to attempt to interpret the things around them and provide consultation to the kings and to the scribes and to the leaders in the ancient world. And so it's strange that we find these Babylonian magicians, philosophers, wise men, here in Jerusalem. There's something initially admirable ...about their own presence in our story. You see, as Babylonians... ...they were not particularly well-liked by Jews. There is a history... ...between the Jewish people... ...and between the Babylonians. But 550, 600 years prior to this story... ...the Babylonians came and invaded Jerusalem. They destroyed Solomon's temple... ...they destroyed the walls... ...they pillaged, destroyed the city... ...and they took out the very best of the men... ...the crops and all of the fat of the land... ...and took it into exile into Babylon. That heritage is not easily forgotten. Not only were they despised because of the history between the Babylonians... ...and also between the Jews, but also there was a frustration... ...because as their vocation, they were considered magicians. Men who dealt in the secret arts, the dark arts. And these things were viewed as relating to demonic activity... ...in the scriptures and by the Jews themselves... And so that all of a sudden, magi are here in their midst. There's something shocking and disarming about their presence in the story. But in the midst of that disarming presence, so also there's something to be incredibly admired. You see, they had journeyed. They, had saw, they saw in the stars something that was communicating to them about the realities that were true of their own day. God in his providence utilized the um, cosmic phenomenon to open up for them in their own minds and mindset the realities that he was now acting in time and space. We see from their awareness of the the heavens also a sensitivity to scripture. As was referenced early in our our, um, service this morning, likely they are drawing from Numbers 24 where Balaam, perhaps you remember Balaam, that figure in the Old Testament, He prophesied that a star would come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It will crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. You see, the scriptures began to understand that there would be some phenomenological activity that would point to the timing of Christ's own birth. The Magi uniquely saw it and given their awareness of the Jewish scriptures from the um, exiles that were there among them, they set out to find this thing that God himself was doing in time and space. See, there's something admirable about their dedication here, their dedication to overcome the difficulties of travel, to overcome the prejudices of the Jewish people, all because they wanted to encounter the king of the Jews face to face. It makes us pause and wonder and ask ourselves, what is it that we are striving to overcome that we might know more perfectly the King of the Jews? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, and if I'm open with you here today, it seems like our lives are so cluttered and busy on a continual basis that the things of our schedules, our ambitions, the frustrations of the world, even the sports that we follow, they cloud our minds and they prevent us from truly engaging and knowing the person of Christ. You see, part of the reality of those things in our lives is that we do have the choice. We do have the time. We can rule our schedules and our minds in such a way that pushes out all of the obstacles and all of the cloudiness and allows us to behold Christ. The Magi here demonstrate for us that that um, unction, that fervor, that desire to not let anything come between them and knowing Christ. May that also be our hope and prayer this year. Well, as admirable as their character in this passage is willing to overcome the things that they do to find and behold and discover the one born King of the Jews, so also there's another storyline, another plot point that we encounter in our tale as well, and that is encountering Uh, unmet expectations. See, like any of us, we enter any set of circumstances with a certain set of expectations. Their expectation was that if a king was to be born, he was likely to be found near or around the royal palace. So if you're going to go find where a king is born, wouldn't you go to the capital city? Wouldn't you go near the palace of Herod, the king of the Jews? Well, they do this, and they find to their surprise that there has been no birth in the royal household. Oops. (laughs) Oops. <laughs> what does this mean for them? Well, we hear that news of their report comes to Herod, and he himself then goes about doing the things that he does. We're aware from Josephus, who is a first-century historian. He gives us more of a picture of what Herod's own life was like. There's a part of Herod's life that is incredibly admirable. as He was born an Idumean, He married Jewish royalty. He was appointed king of the Jews by the Senate in 40 A.D., And then he went about these elaborate construction projects to rebuild Israel and really place them at the forefront of political activity in the ancient world. In a lot of ways, we would admire him for all of the things he did. But one thing he lacked was a true trust and confidence in God. You see, here in his older years, in his later years, he is paranoid. He's at this time already had both his wife and two sons killed and murdered out of fear of political rivalry. And now hearing that there is one who has been born king of the Jews, he goes about in his own manipulative and scheming way to exploit the Magi, utilize them to find the Christ, and as we see later on in his activity, to attempt to thwart out the appearance of the Messiah. There are times in our lives when we are always going to be the victims of exploitation. You never know walking into a circumstance what one individual's expectations are. Here the Magi come into Jerusalem likely attempting to bring and herald good news, and they find out that the good news that they come to bring is actually catastrophic news for the individuals that they come to bring it, And they find themselves not heralds, Uh, and uh, guests of royalty but they find themselves enemies of the state we might find ourselves in similar circumstances this year i truly wish for all our sakes maybe that i had a magic eight ball or some mirror that i could peer into and it would give me insight into all of the dynamics that you would experience so that i can give you a call or shoot you an email and say hey don't take that meeting hey do this when that happens but if We knew that we would deprive ourselves of the truth of the story of life's real drama that requires that we encounter circumstances like those of the Pharisees, be pierced to our hearts at our own insufficiencies, and be reliant now upon a far higher power to control and direct our destiny. And this is exactly where the Magi find themselves. Certainly, they're disappointed by the realities of Herod's welcome to them. They're discouraged, I'm sure, even by the scribes and by the high priests who, upon hearing of the news, don't desire to join them, but it seems that they simply remain in their own passivity and indifference in Herod's palace. They depart from Herod's palace with hope as they have identified Bethlehem as the location. You can imagine their surprise, which the text is profound and abundant and exclaiming that then as they're leaving the city of Jerusalem, as they're departing from the palace, they see before them the star that they saw that originally brought them to Jerusalem has now moved. And that's not standing above them, it's moving before them, guiding them to the place where they seek to go. I mean, if you were the Magi, uh, you would interpret this, I think, how we all were, that God is uniquely working for us in our own lives, to take us exactly where we desire to go, which in this particular instance corresponds exactly with the birth of his king. See, one of the important things in discerning our own desires and in seeking God's will is deciding and, and defining and understanding, excuse me, that is our will truly God's will? If you have any doubts, fully pursuing the king of kings and knowing him is always in God's will for you. Here it's the Magi's one. As a result of that, they experience the blessing of God to not leave them in the dark, but to direct them one step at a time, one movement of the star at a time, until they come face to face with the king of the Jews. I can't imagine that journey, how behind them they have Jerusalem with its lights, with its wealth, with its military, and as they move out to the little remote town of Bethlehem, The homes are smaller. The cities smaller. The circumstances are far more humble. And as they see that star arise, that arose, then come to rest over the place where Christ was to be born, to now look at that teeny tiny little home compared to the opulence of Herod's palace, to open up the door to knock, and to be greeted not by royal guards or individuals wrapped in um, glorious clothing, but to see a simple young woman, and with her in that little home is the little child, who they know was the king of kings because of the direction of God over him. What a moment. What a contrast as they think about the one king they left and another king that they met. And this is where the third plot point comes to be, that God in his work in our lives, in opening our own lives to his splendor, then changes our hearts in such a way That we see his true and rightful king and we seek to willingly honor him wholly. I love that the passage says that they open their treasures. The idea is that they've, they've brought gifts that they wanted to bring to the royal king that was born. And out of their treasures, out of the very best that they had, they open up their coffers and they give him a gift of gold. Gift of frankincense, which was a um, balm, a gum that you could, you could burn and it would smell sweet. It was a form of incense or myrrh, which was an oil often used in burials or to cover foul stenches. See, there's symbolic, um, there's symbolic meaning that's been given to each of these. But I think the point of the passage is that what the Magi give, having seen God work so powerfully, personally, and profoundly in their life, is that they give God from their very best. They don't give him from the castoffs. They don't give him the half-eaten chicken sandwich that they had on the way as they left Jerusalem. They give him the very best. And here in this, we have that beautiful picture of what happens when we encounter a truly mutually enriching relationship. They've come to honor Christ. They've given so much for him. And now the gift of seeing him before them sets aside All of the worries and frustrations they've experienced placates the hurts and pains and now changes them forever. And we see part of that change as later on that night as they are dreaming, remember magi or interpreters of dreams, they're warned in a dream to not return to Herod. And here, in going home, they give Christ another gift, the gift of freedom and the gift of life. You see, had they returned to Herod and give him their message, Herod would know immediately where to find the child. He would have time immediately to go and find him and worship him as he wanted to worship him. The Magi, in holding that information to themselves and quietly departing from the city, they buy Mary, Joseph, and Jesus time to depart. And oh, it just so happens that they've also given them a few extra resources that now they can utilize to sustain themselves themselves over the course of the journey through those royal gifts. See, the question that this invites to all of us are, are we giving Christ freedom to live, to truly live in our own lives? Are the hurts and pains and frustrations, is the darkness of our life so dramatically clouding us that we aren't giving Christ the space in our own hearts to truly rule and reign? To recognize that the evil, yes, is evil, and yes, we know that waits, But oh, his glory is far greater. It's greater, it's shown in its beauty and glory in the Old Testament and all the miraculous things that occur there. It's also found in the beauty and glory and the simplicity that God became a man and desired to make his dwelling with us. And as the disciples said, we have seen his glory, glory of the only begotten. Friends, every single you can see Jesus Christ. You can see him because his testimony has been recorded in his word. If you have any doubt about what is good, what is right, and what is true, we have what Peter says is a more faithful word than the beautiful things which they saw face to face when Christ himself was transfigured on that glorious mountain. If you want to see Christ, he's only a page away. If you're looking for hope and purpose and meaning this, this year, Friends, you've come to the right place. I don't know what your hopes and goals are for this year. I'm sure there are some of the usual things. I'd like to lose some more weight. I'd also like to grow some more hair. If you have advice on either of those, please let me know. But whether I lose weight or whether I grow hair, Christ is still the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is returning in glory. And his gospel is true. Let these things comfort you this year. Let them comfort you this morning. And may we all rightly pay homage to the newborn king. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are good. You are good because you have created what is good. Because you have overcome all evil. And because you have shown us the true meaning of what is good through the work and ministry of your Son. We praise you for the gift of your Spirit that is encouraging us and comforting us even now. Lord, we ask you to continue doing what you do and continue forming us that we might respond to what you do and love what we do, that we might find our true purpose and meaning in life, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.